So we just want to disclaim this episode with the fact that to mark this day, November 7th, when we are recording this, Joe Biden just won the U.S. presidency, ending uh, Trump's term and denying, well, not his term, but denying him a second term in the White House, which is pretty significant. And maybe later on we will talk about the structures that have brought American democracy to here. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Everybody, welcome back to Kek and Sakinki. This episode is going to be really interesting. We will be talking about ancient Persian or Iranian philosophy. It's so cool. It's, it's going to be so cool. super cool. We hope you'll stick around for this episode and the next, in which we'll be covering the, you know, historical context, background, and maybe some, well, not maybe, but philosophical tenets of Persian culture. Yeah. And how that, die. yep, and how that impacts us today. So without further ado, I will start you up with the historical context of Persia, or Iran, as we know it today, right? Let us take you to modern-day Iran in the Eurasian steppes, right? A land rich in culture and history. There are many different cultures that were born in the Eurasian steppes around where Iran is today, and even later we saw like the Mongols be there, and that's really interesting. However, the first established, established culture there that grew was with the arrival of the Assyrians. I love them. Yes, they're incredible. God. We're going to talk about them. We're, they're, they're like all over the ancient world, right? And if you're ever in the British Museum, please do, do yourself a favor and go look at the Assyrian art exhibition. Yes. That oh is my God. insane. It's incredible. So by the second millennium BCE, so that's where we are right now. That's where this starts, but don't worry, we'll move along. By the second millennium BCE, we see tribes settled in the greater Iran, such as the Medians, the Persians, and the Parthians. Through some strategic warfare, so I'm going to like move along this part of history really quickly because the growth of the Assyrian Empire isn't really super important to what we're going to be talking about today. So just assume that the Assyrian Empire is there and then it falls and now the Medeans are there, right? Not the Medeans, the Medians. Different. I get super confused every time, but it's the Medians. And I don't know who that man is. To say it, I hope I don't sound ridiculous. I don't know who this man is. I mean, he could be walking down the street. I wouldn't. I wouldn't know a thing. Sorry to this man. Yeah, well, <laughs> through some like really cool war strategies that I cannot go into because again, I would be saying too much, but it involved really a lot of different groups that lived in the area and were occupied by the Assyrians, like the Babylonians and the, and the Medians. <laughs> the Assyrian Empire's occupational rule over civilizations ended circa 16, no, 616 or like six. 05 BCE. Then the Median Empire ruled for a while. Alas, Cyrus the Great, who was the king of this other empire of the Persians, right? This civilization, which was closer to India, maybe more far south than what we consider Iran today. He invaded the Midians in 550 BCE, or better said, he started invading the Midians in 550 BCE and founded the... Uh, here I go. I saw like five YouTube videos. Achaemenid Empire. <laughs> the, or another way they said it was Achaemenid, Achaemenid Empire. I, 
do what you will with that information, to be honest. But he founded the Achaemenid Empire by unifying a bunch of city-states that included, you know, the other groups that really hated the Midians after being ruled by them. And this was known as the Persian Revolt. So basically, to long story short, he went around the Midian Empire, Lydia, which was near to Anatolia and Georgia, like what we know as Anatolia mm. and Georgia today. And he was just kind of like, hey, he sucks. Like, they suck. And I am I have this cool idea <laughs> for an empire. He was like, I have this really cool tech startup, guys. Like, let's do it. <laughs> and then he went around and people were like, that sounds cool. Can I make one comment right now? Yeah. Okay. So I know you mentioned that this was kind of going to be completely unrelated. But actually, one of the main reasons why... Uh, Zarathustra yeah. is how he is, is because he grew up in this kind of context of oh. turmoil and war. Oh my god, incredible. Yeah. Well, this is important then. So he went around all of these areas and founded the Achaemenid Empire. By 490 BCE, the empire spanned from what we know today is around modern-day Egypt, so northeastern Africa, to what is today Pakistan, so really, really close to India, like northern India. And from north to south, you would kind of say, like, Uzbekistan to Yemen. So it went into the Arabian um, Peninsula. Damn. It was huge. And it was the biggest empire that had existed to that day, like, Shit. to that time. Okay. Cyrus the Great was really, really cool, and he was a great leader. And so he was able to unify all these city-states to found this empire. And, of course, this brought stability and quick development of culture. As we've talked about in previous episodes, specifically the one about China. When we talk about when things are stable politically, then culture can flourish and grow and really be established, written down, and recorded. Word. Yes. Cyrus the Great was actually not only important for the Persians, but he is notably mentioned in Judeo-Christian scriptures as having liberated Jews who had been exiled to Babylon, and he basically let them go. They were able to go back, you know, the people of Judah, quote-unquote, so they, they were able to go back to Judah, which was around modern-day Israel-Palestine. As well as in history, he's, you know, also very notable in history for writing human rights down in his cylinder. So you know how we talked about in our last episode about women, that we talk about how important people usually had a cylinder about themselves, where they would kind of carve things in there. And so Cyrus the Great had a cylinder that had all to do with, like, human rights and the rights of people in the Achaemenian Empire. Yeah. Achaemenid Empire, sorry. And there's just a lot of references to him and to the Assyrians in history in general, like Assyrians, the Achaemenid Empire, in Greece, in uh, Judeo-Christian scriptures. They're really important. And it was really significant that they were such a huge empire because, again, in this part of the world, they had never seen such a big power. Mm -hmm. So this is significant. <laughs> and you might ask yourself, why am I telling you about the Achaemenid Empire? Well, although factors of Zoroastrianism, which is what we're going to be talking about today, date back to the very origins of Iran, which go all the way back, as I mentioned, to the second millennium, so 2,000 years BCE-ish, records of the religion and philosophy itself appear around this same time when Cyrus the Great lived, so around 500-ish BCE. And it was under Cyrus the Great that it first became the state religion, and it served as such for Three different Persian dynasties. Damn. Babe. So for about a thousand years, actually. But we'll talk about why it declined on a later episode. So you guys should really stay tuned because that's super interesting. Zoroastrianism remains active mostly today in India, Iran, and the Eurasian region of North America. <laughs> 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 
very rich traditional culture yeah. there, you know? It's really where it originated. Um, so we're going to talk about, as usual, since we don't have so many people to talk about, I'm going to give you guys, like, a little background. Have you ever been to the desert of Nevada? <laughs> Nevada? <laughs> Nevada? The Rocky Mountain? <laughs> Okay. You know it's some bitch has family. Oh, I know. There's like near s- Burning Man. I don't even know where that happens. No, these there. No, there. I think there's like a community Listen, somewhere near like I Illinois. looked up. I looked up Sarathustra's teachings, and there's this white man oh. with a beard on YouTube. <laughs> so I'm telling you, uh, yeah, that shit's okay. happening near California. Yeah, that's in San Francisco. There is a group of Zoroasters. Okay, <laughs> anyway. The structure of the Archaemenid Empire includes their government. And so, again, think of it as this way. They had never seen an empire of this magnitude in this part of the world ever, right? And so many empires after kind of modeled their practices after this one because it was so cool and so well done. Cyrus the Great was really smart. And in forms of government, the Achaemenid Empire had four capital cities, including Babylon, which is cool, of course. And they had regional autonomy through satraps. Satraps are basically governors. And so like we saw with the with the Peruvian Empire or the Inca Empire, they had some semi-autonomous regions that mm-hmm. had their own governors and answered to the quote king of kings. And that literus like that little, you know, literature device of calling someone the king of kings, I we see that in Judeo-Christian scriptures this is something that is alluded to as well, where this apparently idea of king of kings derives from the Persians. Mm-hmm. And then I would say, this is my input really, mm-hmm. that when in, in the Bible or Talmudic writings, they say God is the king of kings. So Ooh. they're like, it is not a man, it is actually God, right? And so they, they take that title that was of the time, you know, and then they give it to God, which I think is very interesting. The Achaemenid Empire also had a great army, including an elite army called the Immortals Unit. And these were about 10,000 soldiers that were just like nobility. They were really cool. They were oh, super strong. That's interesting here. Mm-hmm. He has his... Oop. Okay, we'll see later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they had a postal system, which I find so Aww. cute. He had like a really quick way to get news around, which I find very endearing. And there was also... Super interesting fun fact. So all of these are obviously fast facts about government, right? But super interesting fun fact. The Achaemenid Empire had the first gold coin. What? Called the Derek, along with silver siglos. So this was the first bimetallic coinage standard. They had an actual currency that was coins. Okay, I think you can leave this up. What's the name of that coin from Percy Jackson? Like the Greek coin? Oh, the Drakia. You're telling they me. also called them Drakias in Greece. Yeah. So because. coinage came from the Achaemenid Empire. Okay, so you don't have to leave it up. Right. Okay. And you'll see like you will see why later too. Like this this will connect to something I'll say later. They also had a tailored tax system for each region, depending on what they produced. Oh that's insane. It was super, super cool. So for example, Egypt, cotton mm-hmm. and other stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So they would have their tax system based on what Egypt could produce and how That's much they so would have to give. Smart. And then it, near Pakistan, near Uzbekistan, etc., etc., etc. Suzanne Collins could never. She could 
really them. <laughs> Hello, District 5. Um, then, this I find incredible. They had massive and super cool trade throughout all of the empire. And actually, the Achaemenid Empire is considered the precursor to the Silk Road, which is really just, I would call the Silk Road most of, more of this idea of stability in the Eurasian continent Absolutely. that allowed for trade to go from one end of it to another, right? So this was really the precursor because it was one empire and all of the different regions traded with each other and then externally. And obviously this saw a lot of growth and it was just incredible, which is why they needed a standard coin. Hmm. Because how else would we know how much of cotton is worth over here where they sell silk and then the silk, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So they needed a coin. That's so smart. What the hell happened? I don't know. And finally, culture. So we know what we know about the culture of the Achaemenid Empire through Greek writings specifically the historian Herodotus. And as we've mentioned in previous episodes, remember that foreign eyes may interpret facts differently, even if they are historians, right? Especially because academic ethics was not a thing at the time. Mm -hmm. And historians were not expected to be, you know, fully just objective about what they saw and how they spoke of it. So keep that in mind. However, we do know some stuff about them. Herodotus writes that from the ages of 5 to 20, men were taught horse riding, archery, and to speak the truth. So this is really important. Lying was a really big no-no for them, and boys and men were taught to never tell a lie. It was considered like this cardinal sin, so much so that names of nobles, so they find a lot of documents with names of nobles, right? I think there was this one that had like 73 names, oh and they're often associated with truth. So their names themselves will mean something like truth-minded, the protector of truth, the lover of truth, um, thinking of truth, or things like that. So it's really cool. They, they thought truth was very important, but we'll talk more about that later on. And something else that I thought you would find really cool <laughs> is that the Greeks, it was notable to the Greeks that they loved feasting. And birthdays were a huge thing for them. They loved celebrating love their birthdays every year. And they loved having desserts. And they actually criticized the Greeks because they didn't have a, a dessert course in their hmm. meals. And they were oh like, that's God. whack. Yeah. They never noticed. Mm-hmm. They were like, that's whack. Desserts are great. And they would even have feasts where they only ate desserts. I love them. Mm-hmm. I love them. They drank a lot. And even, like, drinking was such a big part of their culture that they would even, like, the nobility and decision makers, like, rulers would get together and they would get so, so drunk. And they had this tradition where they would get super drunk and then they would make decisions about the empire. Whilst drunk, so they were like, it was drunk decision-making. Like, we have to be totally ebrio. Uh-huh. Shit-faced. Yeah. And they, would, <laughs> and they would make the decision, and then the next morning, they would look back on what they chose when they were drunk, and then in the morning be like, okay, is that actually sound or not? Like, should we do it? So you're telling me that they walked so Ernest Hemingway... Ah! Oh my god, 1,000%. 1,000%. They And that's how they would do it. And I find that super, super funny. They were just like, let the wine decide, man. <laughs> I mean, we make pretty... I mean, this podcast started through that. That's true. So, um, the, that's it. That is totally correct. This That's how this podcast started. So we just really want to thank the Achaemenid Empire for yeah. all of its impact in today's culture. Now that we know before, no. No, but still. But still. <laughs> and then... 
really important was religious tolerance of their culture. Cyrus the Great helped restore many sacred sites from really uh, many different religions that were suppressed by the Medeans. And nonetheless, Cyrus's reign took Zoroastrianism, which we will now go to, yeah. to all corners of the empire. And it really grew to its peak while Cyrus was king and then his successor, who was Darius the Great. Um, they had many of the greats, but yeah, this was a super important cornerstone of Persian culture, that there was religious tolerance. And then this stopped later. <laughs> yeah, that ironic, right? But you, we'll see later why it stopped. I mean, it's like the first line. Yeah. Oop. Okay, let's Are go. Are we done? Is it over? Yes. Oh my God, okay. take us away. Let us talk about philosophy. So I'm taking over now. Okay. So the ancient Persian religious tradition was passed down orally. And the only written text relating to it come from after Prophet Zoroaster initiated oh. the reforms ah, on okay, Zoroastrianism. Okay, okay. I'm going to call him either Zoroaster or Zarathustra, which is both, both work. Right, Same right. Man. Zoroaster is the Greek form yeah. of his name. Zarathustra or Zarathustra is like the Persian version. Yeah. So basically, <laughs> he wrote version. this thing called the Avesta, which is Zoroastrian mm -hmm. scriptures. And this is the main source of what we know from pre-Zoroastrian deities, spirits, and other entities. Yeah. So basically, Sarasustra was a Persian priest turned prophet who founded the religion of Zoroastrianism. Now, he is believed to be one of the oldest monotheists in the history of religion. Mm -hmm. and he was the first who treated the problem of evil in philosophical terms. Early Iranian religions were polytheistic, and this kind of deity called Aura Mazda, or Mazda was the king of the gods. Mm -hmm. These gods were forces of good, and they stood in opposition to other spirits who were the sources of evil. And, you know, you had this kind of collection of priests who would attend to the gods with rituals and ceremonies. Now, Zoroaster was chilling one day on a riverside, and a spirit who told him he was the spirit of good, so he believed it, obviously. What else? Of course. It showed up and was like, yo, I'm letting you in on a secret. Y'all were wrong. There's only one god, so I would have mocked that. You gotta spread the word. Bye. And of course, the river. Wait, the river talked to him? No, 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 no. A spirit showed up at the river. Ah, okay, 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 okay. And Got he was it. like, what's up? Yeah. There's one god, not many. Yeah. Which, of course, did not go well. Right, right. So the priesthood where he was a priest. <laughs> wow. The priesthood where he was the water boy who occasionally got to listen. Exactly. So they didn't like that. Because he was like, I'm going to spread the word. And he was like, hey, my bros, I was told this by the spirit of the river. Or the spirit at the river. They didn't like it. Nor did the people from his village. Because they kicked him out. No, he got kicked out of his village. <laughs> so he went to the king and was like, sup, sup. Cyrus? Nah. Oh. Some other dude. The guy wrote Cyrus. Yes. I, yes. I did as did not write his name. Oh, okay. But he was there. You know, the king. The king. He was the king. He went to the king and he was like, yo, yo, yo. There's only one god. And, of course, the king was like, jail. Oh, incredible. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, Sarwaster did what any person in that situation would do. He healed the king's horse. Oh, So, the king was like, all right, we go. I believe you. I that's how that. it started. That's my very... What's it called? Informal. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I love that you went for professional. Uh, yeah, I, I want to give you props. Yeah. Okay. That's kind of how it started. Yeah. So, basically, we come... Like, um, kind of going off of what you said, we start this, like, we start seeing this thing where there was this religion who was encompassing all the fucking beliefs that there were in Persia at the time. 
And we then get this man who's like, yeah, mm-mm, there's one. There's one dude. Yeah. One God, so yeah. that's what we're going to do now. Wow. Now, you also mentioned something about the truth, which... Yes. Okay. He also speaks a lot about this. But to him, kind of like um, similarly to what we see in other cultures that we have covered, specifically, I think, in in Taoism, where yes. he told, calls the way or the word or the truth. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So the truth is not true or false, but it's more about um, the relationship between all things in perfect harmony, so that things wow. don't happen at the expense of others. Oh. Yes. Aww. So Asha, which is the truth, the ideal form of existence is an existence where nothing is in conflict. Wow. Which is why they also have a lot of social reform at the time. Oh. Because even though he wanted to be like, you know what, I'm going to play with what I have. Right. Some of the of the social norms already at the time, or cultural practices, already went against the most fundamental parts of what he believed. Okay, yeah. So he actually had to, you know, <gasps> yeah. blank slate that shit. So he was Ooh. like, you know what, we're going to turn this shit over. Ah. It was really difficult. I, I, I can imagine because it was massive. Yeah. It was a massive empire. So a really big part of this was the whole thing about, you know, though he has, uh, he attempted to reform ancient Iranian religion on the basis of existing social and economic values, his teachings aroused a lot of opposition from people who he called the followers of the lie, by the way. Oh my goodness. Fucking salty. Okay. But ultimately, he could not reform Iranian society on, you know, the basis of this existing values, because at the end of the day... In order for people to actually follow the truth, or you know, she just fucking fell. He, she fell. <laughs> okay. So as per usual, we have a very professional setting, and we're on a bed, and yeah. I just rolled off. Our living room is noisy. I did it quietly though, so props to me. I don't know what I said anymore. So ultimately, he he noticed that he could not reform Iranian society on the basis of existing values. Because he would have to deny what he called the truth. He would have to, you know, allow things to happen at, at the expense of others. And especially in the social part, he saw this kind of rise in social justice and whatever the fuck that meant back then. Because now, in order for the truth to be, you know, in order to, to, for this ideal existence to become a thing, no one could prosper at the expense of someone else. Yeah. So that's so cute. Yeah, that's why he's sometimes. That doesn't sometimes make a lot of sense. Well, so, prospering without. That's why he's called the father of proto-socialism. So anyway, this episode is over. We will yeah. no longer glorify. <laughs> I love how every single episode we're like. So this was a precursor to Marx. Oh. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> Marx is a conglomeration. Zoroaster. More like okay. proto-socialism. Okay, go on. <laughs> I don't even know if proto the word, but... Proto you know. is the word. Yeah. Okay, so the truth is kind of the main tenet that I found, that I stumbled upon. Mm-hmm. But some of the most important ones are the ones that I'm going to mention now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he has this thing called... Uh, how do you say that word again? Bene- beneficent? Beneficent? Okay. The Beneficent Immortals. Woo! Okay, this is really cool. You need to pay attention. I am. So... Ahura Mazda is basically, you know, king of the gods. Yes, you know. yes, yes. The uh, the wise lord. Uh, yeah, actually, mm-hmm. that's what they call him. So he is kind of seen as the source of alter alternation of light and darkness. 
He's, you know, sovereign lawgiver, center of nature. And he is surrounded by six or seven beings or entities. Okay. The Avesta, which is, again, the book, uh-huh. calls them the Amisha Spentas, or Beneficent Immortals. Is that how you say it? Yes. Okay, I'm not going to mention all six or seven, because at the end of the day, there's three that actually belong to this King of Kings. Okay. But there are four main spirits that are, in their English name, the Good Spirit, Justice and Truth, Righteous Thinking, and Devotion. These qualities represented by these good beings are also to be earned and possessed by our Ahura Mazda's followers. This means that the gods and the humans are both bound to observe the same ethical principles. Oh, yes. okay. So, Zoroaster. So, in this, in this philosophical sense, yeah. the gods can err. And in this philosophical sense, Tribal, like, tribal life doesn't make sense because people are able to make decisions for themselves. Oh, my God. And we're going to talk about that in a minute, but I wanted to end this by saying that Zoroaster believed that in order for this, this kind of qualities to be earned by the followers of Ahura Mazda, people have to be able to make choices. Yeah. And the ability to do so stemmed from what he referred to as the original choice. <gasps> yes. Stop. The original choice was the choice between good and evil. And if you want to know more, stay tuned for next week because it's going to be a really cool episode. We will end that on that cliffhanger. Thank you so much, you guys, for tuning in today. Hopefully you are now hooked enough to listen to the next one, which is coming out next Monday. So you guys don't have to wait that long. That's cool. If you like this episode, please make sure to rate us on iTunes. That is how we become salient to other listeners and they can find this podcast and enjoy it as much as we do and you guys do. And follow us on Instagram if you haven't already. It's Keck and Sakinki with an N instead of an and. And And if you're feeling, you know, generous. Yes. Just giving. Go on our Instagram and you'll find the link to our Patreon. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you guys. See you next week. Yeah. Yeah.